This week on the podcast, we speak about everything from death saves to spell points and how there's literally no point to being a sorcerer. Welcome to We Speak Common. Hello and welcome to another episode of We Speak Common, uh, brought to you in partnership with the Dice Dungeon UK, a really great place where you can get some really nice metal and now resin dice shipped from the UK worldwide, and we'll be going into something brand new that they've got coming up a little bit later on in the episode. They have, for the first time ever, sent us something to play out on the podcast, so we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later on. Firstly though, uh, Joe, you there? How you doing? Benjamin, how you doing? I'm all right, mate. I'm, well, <laughs> I, I say I'm all right. I've got to that point that you were at about two weeks ago where my body's gone, oh, we've been putting so much energy into stressing. We don't need to do that anymore. And now I'm just like a wreck. Yeah, yeah. That, that is a strange phenomenon where, mm. where, you know, where your body just holds on to the stress uh, and builds it up and then it just oh, mate, dumps it all at once um i had like the world's worst migraine yesterday um i was in bed for half a day and then i woke up this morning with the worst like crick in my shoulder and i'm all spotty and achy and just like oh just awful just awful stuff <laughs> oh bloody hell you got you're breathing into the microphone joseph well ben you know that's something I might have worried about 20, 30 episodes ago, but... Um, <laughs> it's fine, you just blow my eardrums out, don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, that, that's just, this is the production value you can come to expect from a prestigious podcast such as this. To be honest, yeah. I, I think it all went downhill when the pandemic hit and we were like, well, we can't use an actual studio, so that was the only thing making us try and be good, you know? <laughs> yeah, that gave us a veneer of a professionalism i think but you know who, who needs professionalism yeah, now, you know? now i'm sat here in my boxes in my bed just just recording a podcast i've been i literally rolled out of bed just <laughs> fell into the shower fell back out of it and here i am so i don't think i can ever go back to the studio life to be honest with you because that would involve getting up yeah leaving the house i don't want to do that no, who it's wants not to do that happen. anymore no. you know we have the internet we can do it this way now exactly exactly um we've got quite a bit to talk about today but i'm well aware that you want to you want to talk about our games first so shall we do that i do ben i do okay. want to talk about do you, do you want to talk about your your now hell of an existence as a dm yes okay uh <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's it's more fun than it's ever been you know so it's not hellish in that sense but all my dm skills are being heavily challenged right now Okay, because we are fully in the sandbox. I I have absolutely no idea what will happen next session. Now here's the thing, though: anything could happen. We talked about sandboxes uh, like a year and a half ago on this podcast, and we both said, "Unless you're up for a for a good old challenge, don't don't do it. Just just (laughs) just don't do it." it. And yet here you are. This is this is DM hard mode uh, (laughs) for sure, because like you know, I've thrown out like a few. Uh, plot threads that mm-hmm. you can follow, right? Yeah. Like, I know one of the characters wants to follow up on the Thieves Guild. Um, obviously, it seems like the whole party is generally quite interested in this sort of rebellion that's going on. Mm-hmm. But you could follow that up in literally, because you basically have no leads on it right now, in any way. Yeah. In literally any way. Um, and 
you know how like we were saying before that oh, okay if you've got a key you know a little key hook or a key character you just and you want the players you know you just move them around put them in a position where the character's going to see them i can't pin everyone i know where everyone lives in this place i can't just move them <laughs> out of their house <laughs> okay yeah. you know so that's that has certainly been tricky and sort of the cherry on top was uh so the players went out mm-hmm. to maybe rescue their dad they're not sure. He's going on a hunting trip with with the supposed big bad of the campaign, at mm-hmm. least from the player's perspective right now. And there was talk of maybe killing him or whatnot. You're not too sure. So you well, go out there. You, you know. have some you have some big fights and not with him. Not with him, but with some other crazy stuff. You some come monsters. Across, yeah. Come across some sort of death mural. Yeah. Uh, that was do. a bit that was a bit weird. There were some intestines and whatnot. Uh, if you haven't gathered that, by now, Joe's game is very grim dark at the moment. Lots yeah, of blood. It's going it's getting dark. Uh <laughs> and so getting dark. You, you massacred a whale in front of us, man. Yeah, but that was for the gods, okay? So yeah, okay. in a way it was you know very nice and spiritual. Yeah. Um and then you get there, you have this big fight <laughs> because the party's already under attack from some other monstrous threat. So you're all working together with the supposed big bad with mm-hmm. your dad and his mm-hmm. bodyguard, your good pal Denji, and then, you know, things are not actually going too particularly well. These creatures have, like, stunned half the party, and, uh, yeah, it's kind of bad. We were getting ready and to lose a couple of people. It Well, yeah, it was it was a tough fight, for sure. Um, and so, Handen, the, the main uh, problematic person here, mm-hmm. maybe, thought... Well, I'm. I don't really care about all these other people. I'm going to leave, but I do need these player characters' dad, uh, maybe to kill him, maybe for something else. You're not sure. So he needed him to be a willing participant. So yep. he got his mate to suggest that essentially he come along. Yeah, which he did. That made him a willing participant, and then he was going to teleport out of there and somehow. I've got to say. Way. From from a player's perspective, that is a, a that's an incredible plan to suggest that they are willing to make them willing and then like force them along like fantastic tactics and something I will definitely use against you in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but oh yeah. my god! Like the thing is, James said afterwards, if he teleported away, if we let him go, I don't think we would have seen our dad ever again. And that is the vibe that we are getting mm-hmm. from this guy. So I st- sure. I think we did the right thing. Well, it's interesting because. Uh, so he goes to do it, right? Now, you guys are not sure what spell it is. You were trying to work it out. Yeah. I don't want to tell you. I mean, I'll tell the audience, it's a six-level spell. It's, yeah. Probably, they're, they're smart enough. They'll, they'll be able to figure it out. Um, there's not that many six-level spells in the game. Uh, and he was going to leave, basically, either through, like I said, a teleport, a fly, or whatever. And he goes to do it. And Wesley rolls a 17 on his counter spell and stops him. Yeah, he did very well. And he's not happy about that at all. Uh, Because uh, beyond the fact that whatever perhaps plan he had has now been sort of thwarted, uh, I mean, Wesley's basically acted against the king. And he's an outsider as well. He's an outsider. Oh. And doesn't like outsiders, and he's acted against the king, basically. This is sort of a, a an act of treason on his part, there and then, right? And 
yeah, and that's literally where we le- we left it, just as the fight had wrapped up. Uh, people sort of recovered from their suggestion, and yeah, so th- literally, and I can tell you now, not for for I would say for better or for, or for worse, but I don't think any one outcome is necessarily better than the other here; just very different. But that may have changed the entire campaign. Joe, that one counter spell was he trying to cast Windwalk? No. Was he trying to cast Move Earth? No. Was he... Was he... You're thinking all along the wrong lines right now. He was trying... Was he casting Planar Ally? (laughs) (laughs) No. No. That would have been cool, though. It can't... That's a cleric spell? I think that's cleric spell, yeah. Yeah. Um, Globe of Invulnerability. No. He was trying to teleport away. He was trying to leave. I don't know what, what sp- I don't know what spell it wasn't magic jar. <laughs> <laughs> Transport via plants. Who knows? Maybe he's a, a druid. Who who could tell? Oh god, I don't know. But he killed a load of animals. I don't know. I don't know. But either way, it was very cool and it was very stressful. And I think we ended that that session after the fight with the creatures. We we'd managed to just survive. Like I'm on the skin of my teeth. Wesley's character's on the skin of his teeth. Um, James, our cleric, just dropped a healing word straight away and was like, right, we all turn to look at Handen and he's like looking at us with this this face on like someone stole his lollipop. Mm. And, uh, and it's, it's, so, it's interesting because like I wanted to stop the game there because it just felt like the right time to finish that session. Mm. Uh, but, but from a DM planning perspective, that's very difficult yeah. because, I mean, you could roll straight into a TPK, you could fight the big bad there and then right we know we can't Uh, survive that fight in the state uh, that we're in that well that's the thing you're very injured so that's like that's a possibility i'm probably not expecting to happen but you never know with this yeah yeah. uh or any or or any many other things could happen right Um, handon could decide to fight you and who knows what would happen there but the thing is he's outnumbered right there's only two well him and his his other ally right now uh but he's Oh, they're obviously displayed as both being quite powerful, so that could be interesting. Um, yeah, and currently Dad is still suggested to be their ally as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We don't, I don't want so, to fight him. <laughs> no, you don't. He's he's quite tough, <laughs> actually. <laughs> I know. Because <laughs> it's funny, you guys were worried that he was going to just like walk up to him and one-shot him on the field. And I'm like, guys, I'm not going to cheat. He's got 200 HP, you know. <laughs> like, I, I can't just kill him in one hit. Like, that'd be very difficult. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, if I had a character that was like, I don't know, I'd maybe allow it. If a character was literally unconscious or something, I might mm-hmm. let someone go and just like slit their throat. But yeah, uh, he he wasn't that in, you know down and out. So it, yeah, it's just really interesting how that game has gone. I, I'm I'm looking forward to where it goes now because it really feels like. It's difficult as a DM to give up control because mm. you know when you're in control, it's a very authored experience and can sometimes be a, a better experience because you're able to very much tailor every encounter and every moment of a session to make it good, right? You're like self-editing your, your own work to its highest quality. But right now it feels like I've got like 60% control maybe. And then the players <laughs> have got like 40%. So it's very much more back and forth. But I, obviously the benefit of that is there's just 
so much agency. See, like, this is the thing. This is what Estorov was for me, and in my homebrew game, it was completely open world, and and it is really stressful to um to prep for that. But then it, I think the skill comes in putting down the the threads for the players to follow and and the the skill is in making it feel completely sandbox when it actually isn't i think um well yeah i mean you got you have like as a dm you have things that are curated to different levels right mm -hmm. and content that you've put more effort in than other areas of the world or story or, or whatever so you want to subtly push your players towards that more curated content and it, that won't always be the case sometimes some completely random stuff can be the most fun you'll have in a session but yeah. generally it, it's the stuff the dm has, has prepped for really well so it's the skill comes in okay they could literally go anywhere how do i subtly suggest they go in the directions i want them to but the difference here ben is i don't even know what direction i want you to go in <laughs> yeah you're just and happy to be playing I am, and I almost don't even want to hint at anything, right? I've put down plot threads, but those are more like, this is how you get the information you seek, is by going down these different threads. Not like, this is how I want you to complete the game sort of thing. Mm. And so it's, uh, yeah, it's it's really fun. I mean, I would recommend, if, one, if you feel confident as a DM and you want to challenge yourself, I would say really make an open-ended game. Uh, because the... It's difficult, but the potential rewards of player agency are just massive. It really fulfills that dream of when you f first begin to understand D&D &D and you're like, okay, I can do anything. And th this game, the players literally could do anything. Mm. And and I, the world is set up in such a way where I, I would be able to handle that and adjust uh, on the fly. It takes a lot of prep work, I find, on the back end because... Because I have so many spinning plates, every plate that the players don't interact with continues to spin. So you have to sort of update different stories, even though they're off screen. Uh, and you don't have to go into, obviously, as much detail. Or, or it might just be one event that's come and passed and you write a few outcomes for it. But doing that to 15 different spinning plates is... Uh, it's kind of a lot. <laughs> it's kind of a lot, uh, but it's pretty fun. Um, so yeah, no, I've enjoyed it. What's going on in Waterdeep? What have you done? Anything, anything important? Well, I mean, nothing too important, Ben. I mean, you know, we found a, a MacGuffin or two that yeah. we've, um, we've got now. Just sort of the the main item of the campaign. Yeah, just just, just the one artifact that everybody's looking for is now in your possession. Yeah, just pick that up. Put it put it in the old the old pocket. And uh, basically disguised myself as a hobo and left the situation. So I had prepared for you guys to go to this lovely dinner with Jal Axel for him to proposition you and say, you know, team up with me, you'll get a cut and, um, you know, I'll hold my men off. You can go in together and get the stone. I know exactly where it is or say no and I'll send them in now and we'll, we'll just get it on our own. You guys didn't go to the dinner straight away. You found the team. You murdered them all apart from one, questioned him. Uh, found out what the plan was. Went oh, but killed him. You killed Jalaxel's like whoa, best whoa, whoa. lieutenant. He killed himself. Okay. Well, he d he killed himself. Uh, he tried so. to escape. So um, then what? Mm. Then you then you went and got the stone in. And I was preparing for you to like go in every room of this villa, have a look around, like watch. So the villa is set to have um, basically this massacre going on inside, and. 
that wasn't I changed a bit from the book I wanted it to unfold as you got there um, because of the way you'd played the game I was like well it's not going to have happened just yet so where you are in the timeline it's it's probably about to happen so I had it set up I had all these stat blocks ready for this big epic like showdown between the Zentarum and uh, these um, the Graalhund Villa guardsmen and you know all this fun stuff um, and I had all this fun stuff planned with Erstal flocks in as he's trying to get to the husband and the wife and the bodyguard and yeah. and you guys just were like no we're going to go up on the roof we're going to um drop down into the room where the stone is we're going to we're going to skyrim exit this dungeon basically uh, grab the stone and then just leg it um so there was had this whole big set piece and you guys witnessed like i think maybe 15% of it you know i was thinking about this yeah mm. uh, and i was like cuz i did, i i knew I, I just any DM would know that I was like, uh, okay, we just skipped quite a lot of content here. Yeah, and I, just you can just tell when it happens, right? Yeah. Uh, especially you know when a DM, especially when a DM brings out a battle map and yeah. you don't use it, you're <laughs> yeah. just like, okay, there was something there. But I was like, I was like, how could I have been incentivized to go there? And then I figured it out, right? Mm. What you could have done, Ben, was just put any magical blip on the map anywhere because Mm -hmm. we are greedy greedy players yeah always and we always have detect magic pinging up right and if there'd been i know even if i had the stone right and there was a little ping somewhere i'd be like oh magic item and i just would have dived into it there Uh, was probably the players would have hated me for yeah they would have there was one blip on the map but at that point you guys were just out of there um the fun thing was so you you, it it transpired that um the gralans um who are the family who are working with ursul and the zentarum and the zentarum those two factions are basically about to butt heads but you while you were trying to get the stone also saw these gazers arrive who are obviously associated with the xanifer what would have been really cool, and there were so many different ways this, like like everything in my games, there were so many different ways this could have unfolded. So I was kind of expecting you guys to break in, go into the um, the house, watch the fight unfold, get involved, maybe loot some stuff, because they do have some fun stuff, um, then get to the stone and watch her hand it to her Nimblewort, the the robotic like companion and then chase after it so i was expecting there to be this whole like okay you open the door you see her and then these drow drop down on the uh on (laughs) onto the balcony outside and you're like oh shit well they're out the window because you've murdered them already um and then you'll be chasing away after the robot and the gazers will appear and you'll be like oh no gazers and i had this whole um like chase sequence set out with all these different things that could happen and i was like well that'd be uh, cool but is this the bit you changed like from the contrived chase sequence no so there is a quote-unquote chase sequence but it's more of a chase from area to area so in the book uh as written the nimble walk gets away with the stone end of and I was like, well, that's that's not fair. That's not See, That just seems agency. so poor to me. That exactly. just seems so poor. So I said, well, okay, she has her plan. Here's what she's going to do. And if and I even wrote in my notes, if they get to it before she gives it to him, then fine. You know, they get to it. But if the, if she did give it to the Nimblewort and he managed to leg it, then I had this whole set of uh, rules for this fun chase sequence and stuff. But um, Which would have been fun to do, having you guys hop in from building to building across the city. But it just didn't go that way. Um, and you actually made it a lot easier on yourselves by dealing with the finding and dealing with the drow party before, 
uh, going in there yourselves. So, yeah, it was... Um, yeah. I mean, I had a I lot of fun. Like... I had a lot of fun, even though it didn't go the way I thought it would go. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I, I found that uh, that encounter allowed the party to leverage a lot of their skills, mm-hmm. uh, which to me is always a successful encounter either i want the party to utilize a lot of their skills really well or i want some other like external thing to happen to spruce up the combat like a you know an avalanche or some sort of environmental thing uh which i which i found that in that fight we kind of had both because uh the 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 druid got to use their wild shape to great effect mm-hmm. uh, to skip the whole dungeon. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, effectively, yeah. Um, the me as the rogue. Uh, I mean, I would have got to have utilized my fast hands pickpocket if I could roll above a three. <laughs> but uh, I still, you know, the rogue managed to get the precious item, which is all the rogue actually wants to do. So. Yeah. Like I felt fulfilled there. The the wizard got to uh, utilize control spells, which is what the wizard wants to do. You know, he was levitating the nimble war and stopping him get away and stuff like that. Right? Uh, everyone was doing stuff. I mean, I mean, the cleric wasn't doing very cleric things, but he was the strongest in the party. So he was like just holding a door, which was like actually pretty epic when it happened. To be fair, mm-hmm. uh, stopping this. Stopping the the tide of uh, of bad guys from spewing in, yep. and then uh, yes, yeah, so everyone was like doing stuff that they they need to. I'm pretty sure even the bard inspired someone, which just never happens in this campaign. So uh, <laughs> it was it felt good from that aspect. And then also the terrain because there were like three different levels. Uh, like I actually got to utilize the fact that I can climb fast, which never. Never comes, comes up. up, no. It just because it's compl- it's a completely useless ability half the time. But it happened to be useful here on this uh, high degree of verticality in in this specific scenario, uh, and so it just felt like everyone was doing the the things they want, like, like kind of like um like the encounter I was just talking about before, where the, the obviously the wizard got the the clutch counter spell right. I felt like that was a successful encounter because someone got to do something like core to their class and have it be have it have massive effect on the battlefield. I really like that. And and in your um, encounter here, that just kept happening over and over again. So for me, that's like the measure of a, a good encounter is when everyone gets to, to do their thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think the, the, the bit that gets me is that there was a lot of potential story stuff that you missed even though it kind of ultimately was a big old encounter um there are lots of named characters in there that you've been hearing about for a long time but not actually come across um which would have been like erstal floxin was in there and i was ready for for lilith to get in there and like beat him up and question him and things like that but that didn't happen um and there's some fun surprises too like you had a look down from the roof at the uh basically the groundskeeper and his two mastiffs and they shone with some sort of aura in your detect magic so you never got to find out what was going on with them which was um, would have been fun and interesting but i guess you know the the things have happened and there are consequences for you not getting involved more so we'll see what happens when we play i I feel your pain it it, didn't it just kill you (laughs) a little bit just i'm just absolutely genuinely though i'm interested to see what's going to happen now because you guys are now going to go to dinner with jarl axel right so Mm. What happens if you turn up and you're like, oh, yeah, by the way, we killed all of your men? Well, 
yeah, that is uh, going to be a problem. Uh, so <laughs> I'm not even sure. I, here's the thing, like basically, Joe, I'm, I'm ready for I you go to, to like burn down his ship and just ruin everything. Is what I'm saying. I want I want to go to Jarlaxle and whatnot because I enjoy the character and stuff, but. I, I just feel like it's so dangerous now, <laughs> you know. Like we just have, we have little incentive to go other than to find out why he wants the stone. But which don't is you want the... to know? See, I do want to know because for him to be interesting in any way, it's got to have some degree of of empathy in it, or some degree of uh, relatability as to why he wants it, mm. which will be interesting. For sure, but I, I feel your pain in terms of uh, missing out on on certain story content. I felt similarly in my game when you guys came across that that big death mural warning mm. or whatever it was, and uh, I was like, okay, and you were trying to figure out what it was, and I was like, okay, a cleric role religion check, and I was like, okay, this won't even be that hard, and then he rolls like a seven. Yeah. Like, ah, now I can't. I can't tell you anything. Can't, I can't really tell you anything because that's how the game works. But but I have this exposition. I was like, dang. And then you were walking away, and then you rested. And I was like, well, I guess, I guess that's that then. And then you, yeah. and then, but your character was like, oh, I want to consult the runes on it. And I was like, yes, thank God, <laughs> thank you, thank you so much. And then you rolled really poorly, and I was like, okay, I could tell him a little bit, maybe just a little smidge of information. Uh, but it actually worked out better that way because it was even, it was more obscure yeah which i, I thought was more in, in it felt line more natural with, with as the well. reading yeah and that was that was really fun actually just being able to uh talk to you almost like you were talking to your ancestors but yeah. they were like cut off from you and this this thing whatever it had done had uh sort of severed that connection in this area right and mm. and sort of corrupted it and so that's it's always nice when your players give you an opportunity to just espouse information yeah. in a natural way um but I, that's why i quite like i quite like the uh the whole setup with water deep with it being a because you have your own residence uh, you can obviously you people can just arrive at your door or send you letters and things yeah and it doesn't really feel contrived in any way uh no, because it's natural because people just know where you live, and that, and you're like an embedded part of the community. I think that's quite a powerful thing, and makes you more invested in the actual story of Waterdeep itself. Because you are a citizen of Waterdeep, and you feel like you are, unlike if you just lived in the, you know, the inn all day, <laughs> every day. Yeah, you just rent the room permanently. It's just permanent Airbnb residence. Yeah, it gives you, yeah, it gives you some permanence in the world. I quite like that. Well, look, we've we've talked for ages about our games, um, and, and we did a whole episode on it last week. So we sh- we should we should talk about some stuff that people can use. Um, and we did say last week that we were going to talk about a variant rule um, from an email that we got. So we're going to get into that and spell points in a bit. First, though, I did find something um, actually yesterday when I was scrolling through Reddit. I found this really cool article, and I just wanted to get your opinion on it. So it's mm-hmm. by um, Think DM. Definitely, I'm not, we're not going to go through the whole article. It's it's a little bit. There's, there's length to it and there's reasons and stuff, but it's um, it's really good. ThinkDM.org, just go and read it. It's about death saves. So basically they say that death saves as they are are a bit naff because you just wait for your turn to come around, you roll, and then you pass. Um, and they're, I'm skipping straight to their fix and their solution, none of their reasoning as to why they would do this, Joe. So bear that in mind because mm-hmm. I know I know okay. you, you often 
push for that. You're like, well, yeah, but why? Um, so their solution is a passive mechanic, in their words, that uses the same conditions that you would have if you went down anyway, like you would now in the rules as written, but with increasing levels so that you can still do stuff as you're doing your death saves. So okay. you you get hit, you drop to zero hit points, you've got zero failed death saves, you are prone and you cannot stand up. Mm-hmm. So you can still crawl, say so like half speed, um, but you're you're down. You get one death save, you become incapacitated and have that statistic. Three death saves, you die. If you okay. have more fails uh, than actual saves, so if you've got, let's say you get two fails and you've got one save, you fall unconscious. So there's this idea that you can fall unconscious and wake back up because you might have, you know, one fail and zero saves, but then you roll your save and it's above a 10 and so you wake up and you can crawl around and do stuff. The idea being that you can then have that moment where you crawl up to the big red button and you press it with your last breath or you, or you shout out the, the thing that makes the person alive win, that kind of thing. I just wanted to know what you thought about that. I think it's really cool. I like the idea that you can have those more epic death moments, right? And you can still have effect uh, in your final moments and whatnot. The one problem I see with it, right, mm-hmm. is... Half, I would say, if not more, of the classes have some sort of healing capability. I go down, I'm prone or whatever, it gets to my turn, I can move and whatnot. Why can't I just pop a potion and now I'm back up? Or healing word myself. Yeah, okay, I didn't think of that. True. I'm a paladin, I go down, oh no, I lay on hands, I'm back up everyone, I got 50 HP again. It's like, yeah. I don't. I just don't know if that would horribly unbalancings and it would also pretty much nullify um the effect healers would have or make them feel less important because they're not coming down to like medivac you and and save you because you can just as long as everyone's got a potion on them uh, there's basically no reason to heal anyone because healing's in uh, ineffective unless you go to zero anyway Mm. uh because you have all that overflow damage that does nothing uh what i mean by that is if if someone's at two HP, there's no point healing me healing them to ten. I might as well let them get hit for thirty, uh, which will do nothing heal to them. them. Yeah, they'll just be at zero and then heal them to ten. But if if they can do that themselves, I think it might just nullify it. So maybe there would have to be some sort of limit on the type of actions you could do. Yeah. So I've Perhaps. just had to read through of their final paragraph. They haven't they haven't put any limit. So they're saying you're full prone at zero HP. Um, the casters drop concentration you can't stand but your speed isn't zero you can still crawl around take actions and make attacks at disadvantage in our last discharge maybe maybe I, I would do it that uh, maybe you can always take the attack action mm-hmm. uh, but perhaps limit it to only one hit yeah. as opposed to multi attack or you can cast a uh a cantrip. Oh, and you, or you can always do it. Yeah. Or you can always do an attack spell, but you have to. Um, or you, or you can cast a like saving throw spell. You can't cast anything that affects self, maybe. Uh, and so you can cast a saving throw spell, but you can only do that once before you then have to get back up to your feet yeah. before you can do it again. The only so, I don't issue know, that, you're going to have might... with that is things like um, what's the really cheesy healing spirit. Like that's not a spell that affects you, but you could use it to get yourself back up. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, there would be some 
workarounds. I mean, what a surprise. Healing Spirit breaks things again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, yeah, so there are there are problems like that. I would perhaps... Yeah, I don't know. Because obviously that just feels really contrived. Like, okay, why are those limitations there mm. but, but not elsewhere? Why can I do some things but not others? Because uh, arguably, you know, casting a... A, uh, a disintegrate is going to be harder than uh, casting a healing word on yeah, myself. Yeah. But but I can do one and not the other. But I don't know. I just, yeah, I, I'd be interesting. You'd have to balance it in some way. I, I do like the, uh, we spoke about it before, the sort of the rule of just being able to do something when you're effective down. Yeah. As, as you die. Like, like I think that, it would be really cool as a wizard to be like, if I know that I'm going to die, if I know that this is it. The idea of being able to just drop a fireball on myself and just go out in a blaze of glory, quite literally. I like that. I really like that. I love... Um... But, I mean, that's what contingency's for, isn't it? I guess. <laughs> if I to, if I drop to zero hit points, drop a fireball on myself. Yeah, but any clever wizard's going to have, like, a contingency. Well, when I get to, like, a quarter, just, just teleport me away. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I like the idea that, say, a high-level wizard or whatnot who does die could teleport his whole party to safety and stop the TPK. See, that's cool. Doing something like that. I, obviously, I love the idea that the paladin just drops a massive smite before he dies. Mm. That's good fun. See, that's uh, that's why I like this system, this new Depso system, because it gives you that chance. But you have raised a, a, a big issue that I didn't see, so... I don't know. Maybe there is a way around that somehow. Maybe, like, maybe it doesn't matter too much because healing, especially in Five E, is no longer the burden of the cleric at all. Really, no. Like the the cleric can be a healer, and they are the most effective, but they're not really the most effective at all levels at all. Because if you look at healing spells, right? Obviously. Cure Wounds is okay. Uh, I think Cure Wounds gets a bad rap because people think, oh, Healing Word's better. But it's not really because all Healing Word does is generally just allow you to cast a cantrip as well in the same turn. Uh, Like, people forget about the two spell rule a lot of the time Mm. and that makes Healing Word seem better than it is. Obviously, it depends. If you have something else that's really good, you can do your action that's good. Also, the benefit of Healing Word is it's ranged. Yeah. But I think... I think Cure Wounds and Healing Word both have their advantages and they're pretty good first level spells, but they're not unique to the Cleric at all. But obviously the Cleric's quite good at them and if you're a Life Cleric or whatnot, you'll have greater bonuses or a Grave Cleric. Uh, Ironically, I think Grave Cleric's actually a way better healer than Mm -hmm. Life Cleric because it all uh, revolves around people dropping to zero first, which is the best way to heal people in D&D. Ironically, it's like, the best way for me to help you is to let you die. (laughs) (laughs) You have to hit rock bottom before I can pull you back up. Yeah, uh, uh, but then really, there aren't very many good healing spells, worthwhile healing spells after that, until you get to like six, I think it's sixth level, Um, whatever heal is, maybe heal is even seventh level. Uh, Uh, Yeah, heal is sixth level. Because heal is just 70 flat hit points. At that point, it is worth healing someone when they're not down because mm. that is like that's a big bump. A, an actual a big number like that's going to get them out of one hit range. If you can't heal someone out of one hit range, it's sort of pointless uh, because it, your heal won't actually have done anything. But heal will, and then obviously mass heal at ninth level is just complete game changer. That's when clerics actually become gods of healing because they can essentially just reset an entire encounter. Yeah. 
uh, with 700 hit points. <laughs> just <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, that's fun, though. I love that spell. Uh, but really, other than that, anyone can do it. So like, maybe I'm overemphasizing the effect because I don't really know... None of our players really play direct healers, do they? Even no. I have a life cleric in my game, and he doesn't play a healer. <laughs> he's really good at healing people, and he likes the abilities, but he's not. His primary focus is not healing people. No. His primary focus is is dropping those spiritual guardians and dropping those uh, spiritual weapons and, and messing uh, stuff yeah, up, dealing damage and hurting people, sending the hurt. But I think, yeah. yeah, no, I don't think there's any. I don't know. I can't... It's a struggle. I think it's a scenario based problem. It's going to be an issue for some people and not for others. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, what I'm not sure. What I would leave you with is um, their final note on on the article, and it, and it really is worth a read. Um, they say, uh, on the flip side of the narrative, bad guys now have a le- legitimate reason to ignore an unconscious creature who is surely slipping towards death, compared to the usual sixty percent survival rate for a creature in death saves. Because previously they said you just feel like a like a dick if you go over and kill the person who's down and ignore the rest but that's what your creature would do but it feels like it's the dm doing it and not the creature um which you know i've been there yeah fair um and once you roll three successes you're stuck with whatever conditions you had while you're in death save since the system can't let you end unconsciousness as per rules is written um imagine how this would lead to dramatic results like the last living party member crawling back to town which would be quite funny <laughs> oh that's like some uh sort of some lone survivor stuff right there yeah um it's an interesting little idea and i think a system that i would like to try out at some point yeah it's it's interesting Uh, you have those more um rambo moments right where you're (laughs) you're flash firing your injuries to stop them infected like you have that that feeling of being injured like truly injured uh, and that, but I just feel like that, that would be a rare encounter after a fight. Yeah. Uh, for that to go down, for for everything to fall into place, for that to happen. So I'm just not sure. Yeah, or maybe there's some balancing issues to it. That is one problem, though, is that death or going down in Five E. Just well, in in a lot of role playing games, I think is is pretty boring. Yeah. There's not there's not a lot of depth around it. It's just, oh, I'm down, I'm up, whatever. Obviously, at some point, there needs to be a big cost for losing, but I don't know. Yeah, they could maybe make it a little more interesting in some way. Uh, so, Food for I'm thought. not sure. Yeah. And also, I, th- I feel that that might... The other issue I had with it is because any ability that revolves around going down or death saves and whatnot from subclasses then become just slightly less effective. Mm, like the totem, uh, bar- uh, totem barbarian. Yeah, or the... Is it barbarian? No, the totem... It's not zealot barbarian. One of them, one of the barbarians, basically, when he gets to zero... Well, any barbarian, I'm pretty sure, when they get to zero at a certain point, they can start rolling uh, con saves. Yeah to like keep going even though they're down and i know there's one subclass of barbarian that's really hard to kill i can't remember if it was zealot or whatever and basically even though he's gone to zero you can just keep fighting (laughs) and you take death saves as normal and die but you have your full suite of actions still which is cool uh, really cool which is really fun but obviously if you can sort of do some of that anyway just as any class yeah negates that less a less special effect but there you go well, we'll we'll uh, we'll sit and think about it. Um, okay, let's do something a bit different. 
this is the part of the podcast where we talk about our incredible partners at Dice Dungeon and um, how if you want to buy some nice swanky dice, you can use code WESPEAKCOMMON on checkout and get 10% off your order and help the podcast. Um, but they sent us a bit of audio, Joe. So, Ooh, bit of audio. Should we just should we just just press just press play and see what happens? <laughs> yeah. Hello, Ben and Joe. It's the Dice Dungeon here. This is an important message, so listen carefully. We need your help. We've heard whispers of a new arcane evil from across the realm. Find out what you can about them, and quickly before it's too late. <laughs> right okay <laughs> so um this comes with rules joe um basically the dice dungeon <laughs> who who are clearly possessed by some form of of uh, uh demon or demonic being uh, have tasked us with coming up with a name and story for a new set of dice that they're launching uh, pretty soon um you know you know what, ben demon demonic you know possession and whatnot is scary ben but possessing a demonic Yorkshireman, even more scary. <laughs> Do you remember how when uh, when we signed up with the Dice Dungeon and I, I made that joke about them being like our, our warlock patron and, and they did that awkward laugh and, and you said it was because it wasn't a funny joke, but I said, no, there was something fishy about it. Mm-hmm. And I think, well, I think we've, we've nailed it. Yep. Okay. It's fine. We're signed in for life. So they've got some uh, really nice sets of dice. We've actually, I've got a set. They sent us a set to... Um, to have a play around with and they are really nice a nice metal set they are called the arcane prism series uh, that currently there are three sets uh, of these lovely metal dice with different colors and different stories and there is a fourth set coming out pretty soon um so at the moment on their website you can you can have a look and you can use we speak common to get 10 percent off your order if you decide to buy one of them um there is try to the blue guys the green and knocks the shade and pretty soon uh, there will be a new golden set so they've got blue green Ooh. and kind of like a purple and this gold set is coming out and we need to come up with a name and the story of these dice the law the law now the rules are because they, they they don't want to they don't want us to go crazy and just name them after our show because believe me we've tried <laughs> um is that preferably the name needs to fit the motif of the others so something the gold probably or the or the golden or, or whatever um and to be along the same kind of lines of their story so their stories at the moment if i look at Knox the shade is that uh, uh the set holds captive the evil deity Knox the shade who was locked away by a powerful wizard to uh, keep him from causing any further chaos uh use these dice responsibly to ensure the great power is not released but i think we can put a we speak common twist on it <laughs> So, what what are we thinking? Because they they've given us one name one uh, name that they were thinking of, and I really quite like it, which is Solas the Gold. Okay, so I mean, obviously, uh, gold, I also think the, if if we if old, we use their name if we use their name that they've gone with and that we know they like, we can probably get away with more in the law backside of it. See, Ben, I see what you're saying there, Ben, but I I feel like. Since that one's been suggested to us, we can't use that one now. Oh, okay. Uh, All right. Okay, uh, fine. This is our only option, Ben, to rebel against the patron, you know? And That's so true. We need That's to, true. We need to grasp it with both hands. I, I feel, obviously, gold, <laughs> the most obvious choice is dragon. But I don't I don't know if that's too obvious. You know, just a golden dragon, Is to put that in the law there. Is that too two on the nose I, I, quite, I don't know I quite like it a, a gold dragon trapped in some dice is is 
Mm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm. It's a good start. Definitely it's a good start. Okay. I'm. I'm. Just, I'm, I'm quite now. I'm literally googling D and D monsters right now that uh, might fit okay. the bill. Um, what that might fit golden. Well, you've got bronze dragons. We've got gold dragons. What? What else could we do? That's. Is there a? Is there a god that we could trap away? Like, is there? Is there a god that's associated with golden sun? Like, could we? Could we trap Lathander in some dice? You know. I mean, Ooh. there might be. There might be some. There might be some copyright issues there, but. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, I'm trying to find a monster, yeah, uh-huh. that, uh, oh, can't, you know, I'm trying to, oh, that's where it was, it's in, this is a bit of a throwback, um, King, uh, Kingdoms and Followers, oh, not Kingdoms, uh, Strongholds, Strongholds and followers. followers, yeah, so I'm going to open that book up right now, uh, well, I say book, PDF, PDF, uh, yeah, PDF, yeah, <laughs> and I'm going to search, because I know, Pretty sure. What are you looking pretty, for? Pretty sure there's a monster. I'm trying to remember its name. I feel like this one might fit the bill because it, to me, it's giving off like a gold, some sort of like heroic, lawful, good type creature, right? With we're speaking gold dragons mm-hmm. or. Why would whatever. we trap away a good creature though? That's the thing. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Maybe is it is it like is it consensual trapping, Ben? You know, um, is it consensual bondage? <laughs> or, or, or always ask it... for consent. <laughs> Judge, you, you just use the word bondage. Come on. Yeah, what's wrong? What, what's your beef? <laughs> We've already <laughs> told the world we're feet people, and now we're talking about bondage. Look, Ben, it's. <laughs> I didn't bring this on us. Okay? If anything, it's Dice Dungeon's fault. So it is. It's say... always their fault. Okay. I would say, uh, you know, it's them. But whilst I'm looking for this, oh, yeah, I'm thinking some sort of uh, special... Uh, oh, there we go. I think I found it. Okay. Okay, go on. Okay, okay so there's a creature here. This is a nice little throwback. Uh, oh, we talked about that a... book ages ago. Okay, there's a creature here called a Kinrin. Okay. Now, it's kind of kind of like a horse, but you can Google it. It's, it's very golden and whatnot. And basically, they're noble creatures, Ben. Mm-hmm. Native to the celestial planes, mm-hmm. uh, they work for good aligned deities, uh, or just in direct opposition to the forces of evil. Yeah, lovely protectors yep. of large areas of the mortal world. They're like unicorns on steroids. You know, they're juiced <laughs> up. Uh, oh, but they're oh, juiced I've got an up idea. With justice. Okay, so if this creature is trapped in the dice, but it's a noble good opposed against the evil, maybe this set of dice is like the one ring for the other sets of dice. So you've got Nox the Shade, Geist the Green, and uh, Trident the Blue. They're the evil deities locked away. And maybe this one, the gold, is the good creature that got locked away, sacrificing itself to lock those others in their forms that they're in now. Mm-hmm. Hmm, I like that. I like that. It literally even says on its uh on the Forgotten Realms wikis. It's just like, you know, it's kind of like a unicorn but, you know, more noble. You <laughs> 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 uh, get more noble than a unicorn. <laughs> you know, it's got a stag-like body, but it's covered in golden scales instead of fur. Mm. Um its horn and hooves are pinkish in color and has a thick golden mane of hair. So I feel like this might be a little more interesting than okay, the uh, I need to dragon. I need to see this creature. How do you spell its name? Okay, so it's K I dash R I N. What you want to do, Ben, is you want to go on the Forgotten Realms wiki. Page, oh yeah. Oh, okay. Also, Ben, open it up and slide across. It has all the pictures from the different editions. The one from first edition is questionable if you have a look at it. <laughs> the first edition art always is. Hang on, it's loading. Oh, it's, uh, oh wow. I like that it's got a little dat at the bottom. Dat. 
<laughs> that's incredible if you are near a phone okay, when you're listening and you can go and just google ki-ren click on the forgotten moms ricky and look at this picture it's incredible that's uh, amazing obviously the 5e picture though is is i think it's 5e. gorgeous is, uh, yeah it's awesome yeah and i think this is the type of creature we want uh, okay. So, okay. what is it? Kinrin the Gold? Is that the name we're going with? Kinrin. Or maybe? Well, Kinrin is the uh, Kinlin is the uh, Japanese mythical hooved creature, uh, the the real world version. But we could um, do we want to call it Kin Kilrin Kinrin, or do we want to give it an actual name? Because I have just come across a uh, Kinrin name generator. <laughs> <laughs> How have you just come across this? So it came up as a suggestion on uh, on on Google. It's that it's that okay. standard blue and gold name generator, but for for Kinrins apparently. Hang on, let's um, it's oh, loading. I, I mean, in. sure, yeah. Give us some random generated names. Let's see what we can. Uh... All right, hang on. It's thinking about it. It's it's thinking. Um, oh uh, yeah, I'll accept cookies. Thank you. <laughs> um, Who won't, right? Yeah, well, I know. I mean, chocolate chip all the way. Uh, oh, it's not actually. It's not actually giving me any names for some reason. Okay, let's let's try again. Let's try uh, kill. Oh, do you want a killer name? I don't want a killer name. <laughs> a killer. Name. <laughs> well, I mean, we do want it to be a killer name, but oh, nickfinder.com. Here's here's a name generator. Oh, they are words that I cannot pronounce. Well, okay. This is this no is a good, yeah. Is this it? is a bad idea. We'll have to come up with. Some, we'll have to be creative for once. So I'm I'm just looking at the information here. Um, so it's saying their patron deity is Coril. K o r i e l. Do you know that one? Coril, not off the top of my head. Coril. Let me have a look. Uh, K o r. K o r i e l. I Coril. So this is fun. We're doing we're doing it live. Yeah, we we didn't we didn't prep any of this. Kirill the Vigilant. Let's have a look. Oh, here we go. Patron of the Kryn and the Tuenrin, if that's how you say that, as well as other powerful, uh, powerful paragons of law and good. He is the wandering power, constantly working to foil the forces of evil throughout the outer planes, while sending his followers to face evil on the prime material plane. He has only a small number of humanoid followers, but look to Kirill as a model of their behaviour. So he's all about. Oh, his portfolio is learning, protection, vigilance against evil. Yeah, those are the themes we want here. I think. Mm. Uh, so that that's interesting. So it could be like um, a Kirill servant or something like that, or um, or we just trap Kirill in the dice. We call it Kirill the Gold. Yeah, interesting. Ah, um, oh, I'm trying to think like. Uh, is there a name for like a group of horses? Is that a thing? Is there is there a word this, for that? This guy's avatar, this god's avatar when he comes down to the material plane is a mix between a Corin, a 30th level paladin, a 26th level mage and a 26th level cleric. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> wow. Wow, tough. Tough um, cookie. <laughs> tough cookie. Um... Corin, Corin, Corin. I'm trying to see if we can get a cool name here. Um, well, like a like a gathering of 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 crows is a murder of crows. You want like a group of horses? Yeah. So apparently, a a group of horses can alternatively be called a rag. That doesn't work for us. Well, hey, Stud hey, a a collection of unicorns is called a blessing. 
It actually is. Mm. Google it. That's pretty cool. Or a harass. Um, oh, I like harass. That's a good name. Yeah, harass. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm on. What is a group of horses called? Old Farmer's Almanac. <laughs> 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 oh, this is taking us. This is taking us off the reservation. Well, look, this is it. This is interesting though, because okay, yeah, I like harass. So, it's like maybe um, harass the gold, like Kirill's harass or something like that. You know. Okay. Uh, well, look, we've got we've got a bit of time because we still need to talk about spellpoint variants. But I think basically what I want to do, um, this is all as part of a build up to our one hundredth episode. So, if you are currently listening and you've got any ideas of of some fun lore or something we've riffed on, or maybe a fun little name. Drop us an email or tweet us and the Dice Dungeon at We Speak Common or We Speak Common at Hotmail.com and send us your suggestions. Maybe you can be part of this uh, this little creationary project and we'll, we'll keep it going next next week. So write down somewhere, harass Corinne or, or something so we don't forget. I like the old... Um, also, I, I was just Googling as well and it's like, uh, what does harass mean? And it's like a, a group of stud horses. And obviously stud's <laughs> like a like a type of horse. But I just like the idea that these, these guys are studs. They're yeah. all studs, mate. They're all studs. Um, as well, if you can come up with any way... <laughs> if, if you can come up with any way to uh, to insert the We Speak Common brand into the lore of this dice, then uh, maybe maybe Ben and Joe are the ones that trapped the... I don't think they'll go for that, but we, we can try. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> just imagine these the the art well, from the first edition Corinne wearing well, now. It definitely helps us out so we got we got a few different themes here we've got a Corinne uh Corral Corral whatever his name is we've got Harass which means a stud of horses <laughs> uh, we've got obviously <laughs> blessing maybe we could use some sort of unicorn thing yeah I like this uh, so this is unicorns aren't gold so that kind of yeah I think I think get rid of the unicorns let's keep with the Corins and I like the idea that this is the the good patron dice that that keeps lore around the bad ones make them really yeah. special yeah mm. but it comes at a cost some sort of cost of uh, imprisonment there yeah or some sort of heavy duty bondage ben uh that mm. that's keeping the, these bad boys are back, you, you know are saying? you good at, at tying knots um you know what ben i have some not experience okay <laughs> so <laughs> okay all right look let's let's talk about now that we're 54 minutes into this episode let's talk about the actual main topic shall we <laughs> Oh, let's do it. Chaotic evil today. Um, so if you want to read along and if you've done your homework, turn to page 288 of the Dungeon Master's Guide. Um, no one did their homework. It's fine. I didn't either. So basically, uh, I believe it was Joshua dropped us an email the other day um, and about a week ago now and said, hey, here's some ideas I've been playing around with. I wanted to do a spell point variant. And I said, oh, have you um, have you looked at the, the, the variant rules in the DMG? And he said, no so i said neither have i let's have a look um <laughs> who has exactly who who uses these variant rules but to be fair no I, I think we had this conversation off air the other day that no one really reads the dmg but when you actually go through it there's some really interesting like just ideas things i wouldn't want to bring to my table but i i like reading <laughs> yeah i know what you mean it, the problem is like, every time i open the dmg i just somehow land on the magic item section and then yeah. just sort of yeah never leave that's because the dmg itself is a magic item and you can never actually find the thing you were looking for because it's so badly organized so agreed um spell point variant if you want to read along one way to modify how a class feels is to change how it uses its spells <laughs> 
Well done. Uh, with this variant system, a character who has the spell casting feature uses spell points instead of spell slots to fuel their spells. Spell points give a caster more flexibility at the cost of greater complexity, which is just D&D in general. Um, in this variant, each spell has a point cost based on its level, and the spell point cost table summarizes the cost in spell points from slots 1 to ninth level. Cantrips don't require slots and therefore don't require spell points. Instead of gaining a number of spell slots to cast your spells from the spell casting feature, you gain a pool of spell points instead. So good luck if you're a sorcerer who has to now juggle both spell points and sorcerer points. Um, instead of gaining blah, 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 right, you expend a number of spell points to create a spell slot of a given level. So it's spell slots with more steps. You can't reduce your spell point total to less than zero and you regain all your spent spell points when you finish a long rest. Spells of six level and higher are particularly taxing to cast. Uh, you can use spell points to create one slot of each level of sixth or higher. You can't create another slot of the same level until you finish a long rest. So that's keeping you in the, the same restrictions as the amount of slots that you would get. Um, so, yeah, so basically, on. really, it's giving you more opportunity to... Cast different levels. Create the spell slots that you want or require, right? Yeah. So you could essentially create more of, say, third level spell slots than you would normally have access to, which I think maxes out at like three uh, in a given day. But obviously that would then inhibit perhaps your ability to cast higher level magic or, or whatever. Yeah, so the idea is that you're never going to be in that situation where you want to cast a second level spell, but you only have third level slots and higher, and so you feel like you're wasting a slot. Um, that's, mm -hmm. that's kind of the bonus, this system. So it, it breaks it down... Um, so basically the way the way the points go um distribute across the levels is the amount of slots that you would normally have so um at first level you have uh four spell points and you can make a maximum of first level spells and that's kind of how the system works now the the spell point table is for bards clerics druids sorcerers and wizards if you're a paladin or a ranger you half the character's level in that class and then consult the table if you're an eldritch knight or an arcane trickster you divide the level of the class by three and do the same mm -hmm. see it's interesting so is there any limitation in say not casting low level spell slots and just putting all your points into like your highest slots or your highest... so the only limitation is that if you're creating a spell slot over the level of sixth so sixth seventh eighth and ninth level slots you can only create one you can't create more than one okay so that so stops you from having you... you know 55 wishes in one day for example so maybe you lose out then i think on oh, because I'm trying to look at... Okay, let me open the PHP, because I'm pretty sure in that case, so the trade-off there is you lose out on some uh, higher level power higher level power there, uh, because I'm pretty sure you can get... Don't you only get up to one six-level spell slot? Well, that's what I'm looking at, because I'm pretty sure I thought you got more. Let's open up the old wizard. Because you get four so, first and second levels. You get three... No, so... Uh, okay, so at 19th level... And you will get two uh, six-level slots. What class are you looking at? Uh, this is just wizard, but it's the same for all, yeah. for all casters. So at, at 19th level, you'll get a second six-level slot. Okay, so you're losing at, that. And at 20th level, you'll get a second-level seventh-level slot. Oh, or a second, wow. second seventh-level slot. Um, so, okay. And those are... Those are obviously your big jumps. So let's, let's work this out then, because you... So how many... You you get a maximum of four first level, four second level, and then it's three three two two, and then one one one, right? No, so so let's say if you're at twentieth level maxed out, yeah, you'll have four first, three second, three third, three fourth, five uh, three fifth, 
two six two seventh one eighth one one ninth. Okay, and as the twentieth level wizard on the spell point system, you'd have one hundred and thirty three spell points, and you can create up to ninth level spells. So let's oh god maths, let's work that out. So let's say so a ninth level spell costs you thirteen points. So I'm going to do this here live. So one three three, and you can do that once. So you take one thirteen off. That's your ninth level. You take one eleventh off. That's your eighth level. You take one ten off. That's your seventh level. You take one nine off. That's your sixth level spell. So now you've got ninety spell points, and you've got um, and the spells. So the spell slots. How much? Do, how much does a fifth level? So uh, fifth level slot, slot cost. costs seven points. Um, okay, and it so goes it goes powerful. down by one. So fifth is seven, four is six, three is five, two is three, and one is two. So that's interesting because. So you're saying what you got seventy points? Is it ninety? Ninety now. Ninety. So you could cast a lot of fifth level stuff. So if I divide ninety by seven, that's no, that's not right. That can't be right. Did I do that wrong? Ninety divided by seven. That would be right, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, then in that case, you can cast ninety divided by seven. You can cast twelve and a bit (laughs) fifth level spells. Yeah, if you cast nothing else but fifth level slots. Yeah. So that is strong. Obviously, we're talking like twentieth level, yeah, end game, which yeah. is a bit different. But but that so, must that must work out as you go as well. That must be the same as you level up. So just are you looking at the wizard sp- uh, level table? Yeah. Yeah. So just tell me. Uh, sorry, just notch my mic. Tell me what level you get spells. So in the spell points variant, you can't. You, you get maxed out at what level you can buy by what level you are. So if you're first level, you can only make first level spell slots. Um, okay. So you get second level at third level. Is that right? Yeah, that's the same. Okay, then at fifth level, you get third level. Yeah, so it all seems to be the same throughout there. Yeah, so, so you're going to be seventh, a- access... Seventh yeah. is fourth, ninth is fifth, eleventh is sixth, thirteenth is yeah. seventh, fifteenth, eighth, and seventeenth, ninth. Yeah, okay. so that's all the same. So you access the uh, level of spell at the same time you would otherwise. But it's just interesting that you lose, essentially, one extra 6th level and one extra 7th level, which is not to be scoffed at because... They are powerful. Seventh, yeah. I mean, 6th is really strong, but 7th is like... That is truly game changing. That's another force cage. Yeah. Yeah, that is... That's big, big stuff. What's that? Teleport as well? Um some real, which is basically a, a TPK escape button. Mm. Uh, so really, really strong stuff. You are losing out on one of those, but you can essentially spam fifth level spells from that point on. Yeah, uh, because if say you're at max level there, because um, the difference being that you basically what you're gonna have twelve more castings, right? Mm-hmm. Are you going to use more? Are you going to go twelve more rounds of combat? Probably not. No, not with fifth so level. So you're probably spells. never going to run out of fifth level slots at that point. And we're, and obviously, I'm saying like maybe you want to cast polymorph or whatever. Yeah, then you'd use the fourth level slot. So really, if you cast say eight fifth level spells and then another four other ones that perhaps go into like shield or mm. you know just more basic stuff, detect magic, whatever. Uh, that is pretty strong because. I'm just trying to think what you could do with that. You could... Uh, well, let's have a look at the spell list. Obviously, that's an immense amount of Wall of Forces, Big B's Hand. Uh, wall of Stone, Wall of Force, Teleportation Circle, Telekinesis, Modify Memory, Mass Cure Wounds, um, 
What else have you got? Uh, things like Contact Other Plane, Cone of Cold. There's some good stuff in there, powerful stuff. And then fourth level as well. If you think of it, you can make even more fourth level spells. So you can you can you can travel distances with Dimension Door. You can use Polymorph as many times as you want. Private Sanctum, um, Wall of Fire. I just wonder. I suppose because I just think that unlimited banishments. <laughs> I just think even at the highest level, right, of play, uh, certain spells like Wall of Force, uh, like. I think debilitating spells like uh, polymorph or or banishment stuff like that. Obviously, they're kind of save or suck, so they they're not the best, but they're still pretty good. Those spells they don't get any worse as you level. No. So ha- being able to do more of those, more of those fourth and fifth slots, and then avoiding say first, second, and third level slots, which for the most part you don't really need anymore. You won't need shield and whatnot really because you'll have a signature spell mm-hmm. at 20th. This is, I'm, seeing, I'm talking about at the very end game here. Because uh, you, uh, you, you had to cast that for free, stuff like that. And so those lower level slots, which are really going to not have much effect at the end of the game, some will. You know, hold person is pretty much always effective if you can get it off, etc. But... There's going to be a lot of immunities later on and things. So those lower level slots are going to be less useful. And you can essentially take the your your spell casting energy from that and just put it into the higher level slots to get more. I think that I, I, it probably is more powerful. It probably is in the long levels. run. It's just not going to feel like it because you're going to lose those 6th and 7th. But, I mean, you've got a really good point. I think, um, for me... I like. I really like the idea of this. Like thinking about it and breaking it down, I really like the idea. It's going to be a pain in the ass to track compared to spell slots as a character because you've got to. You're going to have to think forward about like, okay, I've got 94 spell points left. How many slots? You say I that, buy? but I don't. I don't think it will be a pain because, you, in a way, it's easier because you're just tracking one number. Yeah. All you're tracking is how many spell points you have left, and after like. A couple hours of play, you go, well, you're going to know exactly how much each spell costs because it's quite self-explanatory. Mm. Uh, after a certain point, what is it? Just two then plus the spells level or whatever, uh, or one plus the spells level. Uh, no, it doesn't really work that way. It doesn't work but, out like that. But it's not. It's not difficult to remember. No, so that's what I'm saying. As soon as you figure that out, or you just write down like a small table, and then you just have your spell points. Uh, it's almost easier than tracking spell slots a lot of the time. I would say. Uh, I actually, so, do you know, this is the first time I've read one of these variant rules and gone, actually, yeah, I kind of want to, I want to do this. Yeah, it's interesting. I'd, I'd be interesting to see if there is any power difference or if we're just reading into it too much and, and kind of white boxing it. We might be. Yeah, we might be, but, but I think... It sounds pretty strong. And if you, if you really felt like, oh, I don't want to do that, I don't want to lose out on my 6th and 7th, well, then you could look at reducing the point total and being allowed to... And just put that restriction on only one spell slot up to eighth and higher, because you need that on eighth and ninth level spells. I mean, you don't want them to be able to just cast wish as many times as they want. It is it is hard because I think yeah, like seventh level is just it's a real beast of a, a level for for spells. Mm. I think there's some some really good stuff in there, and particularly force cage is just devastating. Or it, it just ends fights basically literally just ends encounters yeah it's so good uh and same with six level some like mass suggestion is a six level spell that can literally just destroy entire encounters mm. uh, it's really really strong so yeah losing out on more of those 
Yeah, that is quite a cost. That's not nothing to scoff at. But having the flexibility of those lower level slots, because I just can't see myself casting many second level spells at high level. So it kind of does become a wasted slot. Mm. But it's not wasted if it's just spell points. Because I can just pump them into fifth level. And I guess, yeah, it's... uh, all I just think is many, many wall of forces is good. <laughs> it, that's just really strong. But uh, it'd be interesting to see if anyone's actually used this. Done it. Yeah. If they, if they, how they feel about it. I'd, have, I'd have to have a little browse on the Reddit and see what people say about it. Yeah. I mean, let us know if you have used it. And I would say uh, Joshua, who he he mod saying, you know, in a previous game I had players question the thematic point of spell slots because surely if a wizard has the power. to left to cast three level spells they should be able to cast one big third level spell um yeah i think this is gonna this is gonna give you that feeling that you want so absolutely go for it i mean it's there to be used and it actually doesn't sound that broken in theory mm-hmm. this is like the complete and utter destruction of the sorcerer at this point yeah if this was if this was like rules is written rules is written there would just be n- well, there's basically no point to the sorcerer anyway in terms of the sorcerer used to be the one that had spell flexibility. But now the wizard but has now it, yeah. ev- But now every class has spell flexibility. Yeah. Uh, because before, for people who don't know, you previously, if you wanted to cast a couple of fireballs in a day, you had to memorize fireball twice a couple of times. Yeah. And you, know, you had to not only pick what spells you wanted, but pick how many times you were going to cast each spell. It was only the sorcerer who had a system more similar to the way we do it in 5e now, where they could have slots which they could mix and match with their uh, spell known, list. Yeah. known spell list. But now everyone can do that. Obviously, the sorcerer is a bit less special. For me... <laughs> if everyone had spell points, then it would be like, now everyone can have immense flexibility. For me, the draw to the sorcerer is metamagic, but if the metamagic adept feet becomes <laughs> an actual non-playtest material, then that really does put the final nail in the coffin for me too. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, we keep crap on The Sorcerer's okay once you get to high enough levels where you have spell variety. Mm, yeah. The Sorcerer just sucks up until I think about level 9, 10 because you just, you have so few options. And I feel like the fun of being a spellcaster is having options. options. Yeah. Even if you're a bard or a cleric or whatever, you just have, I mean... It's so nice as a paladin or cleric just being able to memorize anything off of those lists. Mm. That's just it's just it's just really good, and uh, yeah, just being able to have options is is key. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, well I suppose, uh, there you go. I, I, there you go. I'm really I'm really keen on that. Maybe we should use it in our next campaign. I don't know. We'll have also. I need to point out. Yeah. Gone. Because uh, to put this for bed once and for all. Oh no. Because a certain go. someone from a certain. Dicey Dungeon is hellbent on don't, trying to Joe, don't, explain to me don't upset why them the any monk, more than you already have why the monk is a good class and look I I don't need to explain it because luckily recently Triant Monk you know the god boy that he is came out with a why the monk sucks video and it just perfectly explains it okay um, so Ben not you Ben but other Ben other Dice Dungeon Ben I want you to direct yourself to that video watch it and just understand. My okay. my my patrons of the Dice Dungeon, please know that if we need to get rid of Joe, we can. Okay, it's fine. We can. I can send him on his way if if so be. Just you just need to open your eyes to the truth. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's leave it there before they smite us in our in our <laughs> seats and. Um, <laughs> 
we've got uh, we've got D game to play so go get some water go have some lunch and then i will see you in water deep um right. if you want to get involved if you've done the old spell point thing or if you've got any ideas for our our dice naming convention that we've got going on here uh, get in touch we speak common at hotmail.com or at we speak common on twitter and if you see us on reddit it's me so say hello cool i'll catch you later jay see ya thanks for listening today if you like the podcast do us a favor leave us a like or review on your platform of choice and share us with your friends you can get in touch with us on twitter at we speak common or through the email we speak common at hotmail.com the music in the podcast is street dancing by timecrawler82 and is licensed under an attribution license cc by nc you can find it on the free music archive we speak common